Hello and welcome to Chuckle Lovers with me, Stephen Chicken, and a man who doesn't seem to think it's strange to stick his fingers in his ears during wedding speeches. It's Sachin the Crani. How are you doing, Sachin? Sorry, I totally missed what you're saying there, Stephen. I had my fingers in my ears. That's, that's an embarrassing <laughs> start to this podcast. This isn't a wedding speech. No, it's not. That, that's true. I've actually had a bit of a traumatic day. Do you want to hear about my traumatic day? Uh, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. my uh, my phone uh, cracked, uh, the screen cracked on it a little while ago. I think it was when I dropped it running. I took it to Carphone Warehouse in Bromley Town Centre yesterday to get it repaired. And uh, I got it back this morning and I'm absolutely convinced I had backed everything up. But my photos have not downloaded properly from iCloud. I've got about uh... 13. And I've lost, well, I think I've lost loads of really important little videos and pictures of my daughter when she was growing up and other little things. Uh, but I'm still convinced I did back it up. But anyway, I'm going to go to the Apple store tomorrow and get some tech help. So hopefully I've retrieved them. So it has yeah, thrown me a little bit of that because, and that's a bit of a first world problem, but um, I'm a bit gutted. Yeah. So everything else no, downloaded, that's my contacts, my uh, music, my... Your pornography. My porn, yeah, it's all there. Um, yeah, but not the, not the photos. The one thing I really wanted, I could live without my uh, music. I could just re-download that. But uh, yeah, ah, that's a, that's that's pretty tragic, man. It's a downer for the start of a comedy podcast. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You've started it off on the wrong foot. Yeah. Probably say at this point, Jimmy, um, we're on Skype again. We're not face to face. Mm. Sadly, you're at home. I'm in my spare room under a lamp, uh, and uh, yeah, recording this ironically off the phone I just mentioned. Why are you under a lamp? It just gives it a certain level of intensity. It's a, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sat at the desk in the spare room and I could put the main lights on, but I put the lamp on. It just, yeah, just, you know, I don't know, it's a bit cosy and also just, I feel it makes me focus. So is it like an interrogation room? It's exactly. Is, is it like right in your face? Yeah, it really, it really is. I might take a picture and uh, post it on the, uh, on the uh, Twitter account. It's, I'm facing a wall, uh, which is completely blank, a painted wall, which is completely blank. I'm, my back is to the door. Uh, and I'm huddled over this desk with, the, with my laptop open and this phone and a lamp quite quite brightly in my eyes, actually. So I happen to look away from it quite often. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an odd setup. It sounds grim, mate. Yeah. Like we're suffering for our art here. Yeah, we are. Yeah, Well, we love this podcast. So. Yeah, we do. We hope the viewers do as well. Um, and today we are going to be talking about scrubs, aren't we? Mm. I mean, I hope, I hope we are, because otherwise all of the preparation I've done is... Uh, completely wasted. Yeah, well, I'd plan for only fools and horses, but I will wing it. Don't worry Shit. about it. <laughs> Episode nine, Scrubs. Yeah, let's do it. So a bit of background on Scrubs. So it's a program that started in October 2001, created by Bill Lawrence, who previously worked on Spin City, a program that I, for some reason, religiously watched when it was on the Paramount Comedy Channel, despite the fact, I mean, it was all right, Spin City. I enjoyed, yeah, Spin no, City? I love Spin City, yeah. I remember when I was revising for my A-levels in the summer of 1999, um, it seemed to be on a hell of a lot on Channel 4. Um, pretty sure that was the case. And it was it used to be on at lunchtime, about 1 o'clock, 1.30, right. so I used to take a break and watch it and have, have my sort of sandwich in front of it um, for half an hour. And I love, yeah, Michael J. Fox, wasn't it? And um, yeah, 
Barry Bostwick from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Playing the mayor of New York. Yeah, I thought it was excellent. I really enjoyed Spin City. Maybe one of those things you look back on. If I watched it now, I'd, I may may not enjoy it as much. But I remember at the time thinking it was great. And it had um, Heather Locklear came in. It. Did she come in later yeah. or at, at the start? I can't yes. remember. Later, was it? Yeah, she came in a few seasons in. Yeah. A lot of the cast that were in Spin City actually crop up again in Scrubs. I think pretty much all of them are in it. So you've got uh, Richard Kind, who you would know. He's the guy with the massive chin. Even if you don't know the name, Google it. You'll know who I mean. Uh, and Michael J. Fox has a little run in Scrubs. Heather Locklear has multiple episodes in Scrubs. So, as I say, started in October 2001. It's a described on TV tropes as a dramedy, which is a drama comedy and not an abbreviation of the word dramedy. No camels involved at all. All right, don't get the hump. Um, yeah, yeah, it follows the adventures of John J.D. Dorian, who is based on a real person. Um, mm. the, the main uh, one of the sort of consultants on the show the medical consultants is the real JD uh, and it's him making his way from an intern and working his way up the I was going to say hospital ladder as though that's a thing that's not a thing is it a hospital well there's ladder. probably a ladder in the hospital uh, which, the, yeah. which the janitor who I'm sure will talk about owns but uh, yeah career ladder you could just say career ladder couldn't you yeah i guess so that that yes thank you that, the best that of all that words you're better at words than me this oh, is why you work for the guardian i don't know and about I... That. I don't know about that you've shown already in the eight episodes we've done you've got a far better grasp of words i've said some ridiculous <laughs> things before we carry on Stephen, if you don't mind i'm just going to butt in there because uh we've got to do our twitter. I, I do mind but go ahead yeah we've got to do our twitter poll um so oh. as we always do we um post a link uh post a twitter poll by the chuck lovers pod twitter account uh before every episode thought the uh, and asking a question and the question this week was ahead of scrubs discussion what do you reckon hurts the most there were four options a kick in the nuts a kick in the teeth being dumped and being shot in the ass and first time ever we have a dead heat um, <gasps> have you seen the results of this have you have it? i'm just looking at them now yeah, yeah. well we have a dead heat 36 percent kicking the nuts and being shot in the ass um, which i would suggest is it's about right, although I would say getting kicked in the nuts is possibly worse, but I've never been shot in the ass, so... Well, yeah, there's so, only one way to find out, yeah, isn't there? there is. It seems, this seems like a very male-centric result, though, although not to be exclusionary on the basis of genitalia. <laughs> Those of us who have nuts know what that is like, yeah. and I'm sure that a lot of boys who watched Forrest Gump uh, have imagined what being shot in the ass might be like. Nikki and I, Nikki's my wife, my wife, um, we've been talking a bit about we think that being kicked in the nuts and period pain are quite similar like mm. period pain is for most people like a milder form of being kicked in the nuts so like I think it's a bit like do you know when if you're like gesticulating a bit too wildly and you like catch yourself in the knacker with just like the end of your finger yeah yeah and it doesn't hurt immediately and you get like that weird horrible grace period where it's like oh this is this is going to hurt in a second. Yeah, there it is. Mm. I think that's the level of pain that most uh, women have for their period pain. Yeah. Well, obviously, something I can't comment on. But um, the battle is normally between getting kicked in nuts and labour, isn't it? And, and women yeah. get very offended when men suggest kicking, getting kicked in nuts is more painful labour. Um, I, will, I will go as far as to say it's twice as more painful than, than labour, but but I, that might be controversial. I don't know what you think. That carries over into general elections as well. It's a choice between getting kicked in the nuts 
and lady. <laughs> Very much is, yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guardian Easter. Oh, lovely, lovely left, <laughs> lovely left wing reference for what is essentially a left wing leaning podcast. I think. Yeah. yeah. Probably. I don't imagine we have too many right wing listeners. No. I mean, if you are right in and justify yourselves to us, you disgusting filth. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, our right wing listeners will will uh, love to know that we will be getting on to Love Thy Neighbour at some point. We won't really, I'm only joking. <laughs> I think it's on the list. Is it on the list? Yeah. list? Well, we're going to yeah, do that. We've got to do Mind Your Language we're, we're... as well, which is uh, a truly terrible sitcom from the 90s. A jaw droppingly bad, I think, Mind Your Language. Maybe even worse than Love Thy Neighbour, to be honest. One that definitely is on the list is Roseanne, which mm. I think we were both looking forward to doing, and we put it quite high on our priority. But having seen how the rebooted Roseanne has been going, it's really put me off. And also <laughs> how batshit crazy Roseanne Barr's become. Uh, oh, she's a nightmare. The last few months. Yeah, it's, uh... No, it's definitely one to do, though. I think Roseanne, yeah. despite her political yeah. leanings, is... Uh... Old Roseanne. It'll just be like an hour's eye roll, won't it, <laughs> if we get round to Roseanne. Yeah, very much so. Excellent. We should go back so... to Scrubs, then. <sighs> I suppose we probably we should. should do. Right, okay. So... Uh, the episodes that we watched are uh, Season 1, Episode 5, My Old Lady, and Season 5, Episode 20, My Lunch. I don't know why I'm quite quite why I'm doing it in this sing-songy voice. Um, but also, you got go. it slightly wrong, I think. Wasn't it Series 1, Episode 4, Old Lady? Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. So you've sung it, I mean, you've sung it wrong. Well, yeah, sorry. Um, which, it turns out, uh, having watched them in the reverse order are very thematically similar, which I'm sure we'll come on to in time. Um, I intentionally picked a very early episode and a relatively later episode. Scrubs ran for eight seasons, so this one towards the end of season five is really when it's become the show that it became. And it's striking, isn't it, Sachin, the difference between the first season and the later seasons yeah definitely and I, I do what i often do when when we're um when i'm preparing for these podcasts is i watch them immediately back to back so i always find that quite interesting and it really was eye-opening the the difference the it, the second episode um uh, my lunch obviously yeah, series five episode 20 it just immediately hits you how more comfortable in their skin everyone is i think the, the mm-hmm. jokes are a bit snappier everyone just looks a bit more confident um it's slightly lighter in tone and also literally i, I felt lighter the lighting seemed a bit lighter yeah. first episode felt a bit darker um it's just a bit more wacky if that's a if yeah, that's an appropriate word to use um put zania in my notes so yeah yeah just slicker and smoother which obviously it should be by that stage i think the first episode i think jd for me there's a subtle um but noticeable change as well i think in the first episode he's quite dweeby Whereas the second yeah. one, he's a lot more confident and, to use that word again, wacky, zany. Um, yeah. He's a different sort of, he's a different character, although obviously essentially the same as well. Yeah, JD, I think his the way that his character changes over time. We've talked on this podcast before about flanderization, where a character turns in more and more into an exaggerated cartoon of themselves. And JD is possibly the greatest example in TV history of flanderization. He... As you say, in the first season, he has a real depth and the show is all about his conflict with other characters and the fact that he lacks confidence and things like that. By the time you get to season five, he's kind of an unforgivable jerk ass, to be honest. Like, he's he should by that point be self-aware and I think he is more self-aware, but he has completely refused to sand off his more egregious edges. Um, he's... He's not full out, full on problematic. He's more just 
an annoying tit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, about. possibly. Although in in the episode we watched um, in my lunch, he's he's um, he's very you know, shows a great level of caring, doesn't he? To um, yeah. to Perry, um, who goes through Doctor Cox, yeah, yeah. Doctor Cox, Perry Cox, who goes through a a real kind of um, period of self examination, which which ends in quite a cliffhanger style, and um, mm. so he's sort of looking out for him. But yeah, he's um, he's cocky, isn't he? I think that's the word to use. He's yeah. very very cocky. By the time we're getting yeah. to, to series five, where in series one, as you say, he's at the start of that journey. He's very unsure. He feels basically essentially like he's shaking uh, through every scene. Um, the character more than the actor, yeah. uh, where you know he's strutting more in series five. But yeah, that's interesting. You say you find him po- problematic in in what way? Well. Not so much problematic, but I don't think I would want to hang out with him in real life, which is always sort of the lens that I look at the world through um, when I'm watching sitcoms. He's he's very irritating um, and actually really quite selfish. It didn't really come across in the two episodes we watched, particularly in the second half of my lunch. He's a very sympathetic presence both in the sense of you care for him as an audience and that he's showing sympathy. But in the intervening period between these two episodes, he is a real dick to Elliot mm, in particular. That is true, yeah. Like he he's he's a total dick. He's he's a child. And I think that's intentionally so. Like he is written as this immature dweeb and that's played for laughs a lot of the time. But I mean that's the driving force of the humour. But they actually turn that into a character trait as well like a full-on character trait that he is actually ridiculously immature and ill-equipped to deal with the world which means that he makes some really dickheadish decisions at times but it's also worth noting that zach braff particularly watching my lunch is probably a better actor than he gets credit for nowadays he's kind of a a bit of a an eye roll now a bit of a, a joke figure and i think that's down to the film garden state have you ever seen garden state i'm not i'm aware of it did he, did he write it as well produce it he wrote directed yeah. and starred in yeah. it and it was a massive hit at the time and i remember at the time it was really well regarded because it came out just as i was going into sixth form and when i went to uni everyone had a copy of garden state it was one of those films everyone's got it on dvd mm. and then over the past 14 years since it came out its reputation has really gone into the toilet. And I think that's because it's the ultimate Manic Pixie Dream Girl film. Are you familiar with the concept of the Manic Pixie I'm Dream not, Girl? I'm not, no, and I'm intrigued. So it's kind of a genre of film, and it's something that is a mass has become a massive trope over the last 15 years or so, and Garden State is kind of the sine qua non of Manic Pixie Dream Girl films. The idea is that it's all about this troubled male central character, lead character, who meets this wacky, zany, um, slightly off the rails, damaged girl mm. who just through being silly and you know lovable and adorable brings out a different side of him and basically turns his life around. And that's basically the whole plot of the film. But this concept of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl over the past sort of 10, 15 years has really been seized upon and rightly so as being like grossly insulting uh, to women because it's basically implying that all women are good for in relationships and all that women are good for being written as in movies is as enablers 
for the male characters rather than being fleshed out three-dimensional characters in their own right. Yeah. Maybe it's just the age I was, but I feel like that's something we weren't terribly conscious of 10, 15 years ago. But so, and I think Zach Braff's reputation, because he's basically, I've not seen his late films, but I believe he's made the same film again and again since then. So yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of a joke figure now, which is a bit of a shame because as I say, in this, in Scrubs, he's actually pretty good at times. To be fair, yeah. No, I think he's excellent. This just just on that sort of revisionism of his career, which I think is really interesting. I was watching uh, Real Time with Bill Maher, which I which I watch quite regularly on a on a Monday night. It's on Sky Atlantic in England and HBO in in the US. It's kind of his his version, or not his version. Cause I think he's been doing it longer, but he, you know, it's kind of like you know, uh, sort of last week that John Oliver does and Daily Show and things like that. And he 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 obviously has he always has a monologue near the end where he talks straight to camera. And he did one quite recently. I can't remember what the context was, but he did one where he was talking about this kind of this idea of revisionism, where we we criticise films and we criticise actors and actresses for the decisions they made years ago, because mm. in a modern context it's inappropriate. And he's saying you just cannot live your life like that. You know, we even now in 2018 we will do things which in 2028 or 2038 will seem inappropriate. So what do we mm. do? Do we just do nothing? We have to yeah. do art. We have to make jokes. We have to make decisions. As long as they're appropriate in the time, that's all you can do. And um, mm. I agree with that to some extent, but I think I disagree to another, because if we go back to what we were talking about just a, a second ago, things like Mind Your Language and Love Thy Neighbour, I mean, they were deeply offensive. And the get-out clause for the people who are responsible for them would be, yeah. well, in the 70s it was appropriate. Well, I, I, yeah. I don't necessarily agree with that. But just on, just on the Zach Braff stuff, um, I wasn't aware of, of that sort of narrative around his career, but it sounds a bit harsh if he's now in 2018 getting his reputation has suffered because of something he did in 2004, which at the time was was kind of acceptable. And it's just that the values have changed. So I don't know, just touching on that, given what Bill yeah. Maher said. I think, yeah, I think that's a good point. And, and I think you're right to point out that there's a difference between using that kind of thing to excuse artistic decisions and using that kind of thing to excuse real life behavior mm. i think that's important to note but um not to get too deep down that rabbit hole um i think it's it's also because he has tried to kind of portray himself as a bit of an auteur mm. um and i think he's maybe seen as a little bit of um of a pseudo intellectual on that front anyway let's uh, not ramble on too much about uh, jd's jd's career about uh, we can ramble on about jd's career all we want ramble on too much about zach braff's career mm. One of the things that stood out to me most watching My Old Lady is from the very first scene, there's a huge amount of antagonism between the central characters, which has all but gone by the end of season five. And again, I think that was an intentional choice. So I know that they wrote Turk and Carla such that they knew from the very off that they wanted them to meet, start dating, fall in love, get engaged, get married, have kids. And that was the plan from them to the beginning. Given that that was their level of foresight, I do wonder if they started out knowing these characters aren't going to get along at the beginning, but they're going to gradually come together and become kind of a, a family, to use a slightly cringy term. Yeah, possibly. Although Elliot and uh, Carla, in that first episode, obviously say that very first scene are arguing. And then yeah. by, it's just by the end of that episode, isn't it, that their, their sort of friendship is quite established and, and Carla says... And if it's any consolation, one of the reasons I never liked you is because you're already better at this than most of the doctors that come through here. And to be honest, I kind of liked being the only smart, strong chick in the joint. You sort of just complimented me. 
little bit. What I think is clever about um, Scrubs and one element, the second element is actually an issue I had it with ultimately is it's both a cartoon and both a very sort of moralistic, quite deep show. And I think it straddles that pretty well. So it is essentially a cartoon at times where, you know, sort of, these sort of wah, wah, wah things are happening and bricks are falling on people and rewind levers and they're sort of cartoon characters. So JD is wacky and zany, but in the context of, as you say, I think quite right, he's not someone you'd want to hang around with. He'd, he'd annoy you after three seconds, but in the context of the show, he kind of makes sense. And then it gets very deep and moralistic as well. And I think it does straddle that quite well. And I think that's surrealism. We see it with the lever. And I think there's an episode, uh, there's a scene, I said later, where some bricks are falling on JD that is one of the real testaments to the quality of writing mm. and directing on Scrubs, that how unique it is in, in being two very different things but combining them very well. And it is something they had to kind of fight against as well. Sorry, I'm just going to open some uh, some podcast fluid here just to keep us going. What's, what's podcast fluid? Is that just a posh word for water? Uh, it's it's, it's uh, cider very in nice. this instance. Very good. It's, it's interesting you say that because it's something that the the writers kind of struggled against a little bit because they ended up having to, in the first season, end pretty much every episode with some sad music and a lesson, mm. um, which towards, you know, you can, you know, you go with what the network says, particularly because it was on NBC, which is about as mainstream as it gets in America. You kind of have to go with what the network's telling you to do. You don't really get much choice, particularly when you're in your first season. And they got really fed up with it towards the end of the first season. If you listen to the DVD commentaries, <laughs> they're openly complaining about the fact that they had to crowbar in these sentimental moments at the end of each episode and they kind of moved away from that later on they also complain quite vociferously about the number of cartoon sound effects that you're listening yeah. to like like uh, the sound of like Woo! like when people yeah, like yeah. leave the scene or whatever yeah. um but actually even being aware of that i didn't notice a significant decrease in that <laughs> in the later episodes <laughs> That well, this is interesting you say that because I'll come on to this now. This is my issue with Scrubs. So I, I love Scrubs, you know, watching it, uh, as you said earlier, it came out in 2001 and um, I got well into it, really enjoyed it. I did fall out of love with it, though. And it's certainly a program, you know, this podcast aside, I, I would never think about returning to because I just got fed up of the moral yeah. lessons that every episode turned into. You know, I'm thinking this is half an hour of comedy I want here. I don't want a lesson. I don't want to be mm. preached to. And every episode, it seemed to go like that. And it's interesting you say that the cast were, got fed up of that and that wasn't the case later on. I mean, my, my memory may be playing tricks with me, but it felt like even deep into the last series, uh, last a batch of series it was still giving you that moral lesson or it was certainly ending in a serious way i mean the episode the, the second episode we watched my lunch okay it doesn't have that kind of sad music element but it still ends in a really serious way you know ends with perry yeah. um you know walking out um and, and basically essentially saying that he's going to give up being a doctor because he's made this decision that's gone horribly wrong um and i remember just at the time when i used to watch scrubs thinking oh for god so can we just have a happy ending can we just not have an ending mm-hmm. where jd's doing a voiceover giving us a a lesson in in life it just for me became tiresome i don't know what, what you think i think sometimes it works in both of these episodes we watched i think it worked mm. but there are lots of episodes where it does feel really shoehorned in and i think as i say uh, Bill Lawrence, the creator and, and lead writer on the show, acknowledges that it does often feel really uh, forced um, that they're they're putting this thing in. They even sort of meta-reference it in later episodes because they played a bit of sad music at the end of... Like, if there was a sad moment, they'd play a bit of music that went... 
ba ba and that became so overplayed that they then changed it so that that is the sad music that JD hears in his head. Come on, one more time for nostalgia's sake. You come see my patient, you teach me a lesson, and then the music plays, right? In my head, it sounds like this. ba 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 Dr. Cox, can I borrow you for a minute? Borrow me? Dear heart, you'll be rescuing me. Newbie, you're on your own. Get used to it. And they only ever play it from there on in when it's a joke sad moment. Oh, it's a moment that isn't sad yeah. but that yeah, and the joke is this isn't really sad, but we're playing it as if it is. And they replaced the they replaced the sad music with either licensed tracks or a bit of new music. Yeah. So yeah, they, they were aware with uh, of it. I, I also, like you, I'm really back and forth on Scrubs. Like I must have watched every episode sort of five times through. I would I would watch it you know back to back just leave the dvd on while i was playing pro evo when i was at uni or whatever but i really vacillate between really enjoying the show and really not liking it and finding it tedious and finding it a bit irritating i was pleased to discover when watching a few episodes back because i didn't just watch these two we watched quite a few nikki and i and i was pleased to discover that i did enjoy it and there are actually jokes in it that work and some of the writing is excellent some of the storytelling is really effective it's not a program that's afraid to make big decisions or kill a character off mm. i don't think i think the closest they come to killing a major character is they kill laverne um in a later season who is the uh, the receptionist in this episode my lunch jill tracy dies she's i don't know if you realized or remembered but she was a recurring character at the time this isn't she wasn't a one-off appearance in this episode she had been in two or three other episodes before oh, right. well they make reference so, to that don't they the fact that yeah, yeah. she had been in there and we should say she's played by uh, nicole sullivan who mm -hmm. uh, was holly in king of queens um yeah which obviously we did in episode one and uh, a fine actress i would suggest i think she's very good very yeah. versatile holly was is a real sweet um understated character and and jill is obviously in this episode in, in in the episode my lunch is is quite manic and and sort of in your mm. face and uh, yeah i think she shows her versatility there and they do a really good job telling the story of her character because in the previous episode she's um attempted suicide and it's all about you know jd and dr cox having to come to terms with that and in this episode it's played for laughs that she is irritating and she's trying to talk to them in the supermarket mm. um jabbering on about her silly little life problems and things like that and then later on it turns out they're wrong but they think that she has overdosed mm. and jd realizes oh god like she was trying to talk to someone she was trying to reach out to someone and she couldn't face saying i'm having problems so she was trying to bring it up in a jokey way that came across as annoying and jd quite rightly feels like shit that he didn't spot it and that's the whole sort of tension of of the episode and they do a really good job of it because the first half of the episode is as we've talked about is played for that zaniness and possibly is a bit more over the top even for scrubs and then it really does this about turn when jill tracy turns up dead and um it's very effective i would say well but both episodes in isolation both episodes i think are fantastic they're absolutely brilliant mm. scrubs isn't a bad show i think it's a tedious show which uh, there is a difference i mean if we go back <laughs> to if we go back to the first episode 
uh, old lady. Um, I mean, I think it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, just to set it up mm. in, in basic terms, JD, Turk and Elliot, obviously very junior doctors at this stage. They're all dealing with a different patient each. Uh, I might as well give it away. All three patients die. And the sort of twist is early on, JD says in one of his voiceovers. On my first day, my resident told me, if you don't count the maternity ward, which is mostly, well, you know, or the emergency room, which is mostly broken bones, stitches, you know, that sort of thing. He said that one out of every three patients that's admitted to this place will die here. And I think, I don't know what you felt, but watching it, I was like, oh, okay, so one of their, one of the three yeah. patients they are dealing with would die, and you're trying to figure out, will it be Turks, will it be... Yeah, like, like watching casual people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> gonna exactly, it. yeah, which of, the, which of the three will die? Will it be Elliot's patient, will it be Turks, will it be JD's? And the twist is, all three die, and then JD says at the end, again in the yeah. voiceover, sometimes the odds are worse than that. And it's brilliantly done, it's beautifully acted. The last scene is so powerful, um, Hallelujah is playing, and as we see mm. all three patients go, it's got uh, it's called Old Lady because JD's character is an old lady played by Catherine. Uh, how am I going to? I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Like, is it Justin? Justin? Um, yeah. Who also? Let's go. With yeah. That. Who played Mrs. Uh, Lanningham in um, West Wing? Uh, very fine yeah, actress. She, uh, she's a real that guy. Yeah. Like, she's in loads of stuff. You recognise her from loads. Yeah, of loads and loads of stuff. Uh, ve- really, really good actress. I think we sort of follow the three stories. There are, as you say, there are jokes. The ending is inc- incredibly powerful. In isolation, it's a great episode. There's a great line from Perry to JD, which is kind of the theme of the episode, which is saying to him, you're afraid of death and you can't be when you're in medicine. Um, Yeah, because she's having to console him, isn't she? Yeah. Because he's more afraid of her dying. She's come to terms with the fact that she's going to die. Yeah. And he's not. And he's struggling, exactly. And again, it it touches on that fact that he's at the start of his journey as a doctor and he's having to come Mm. to terms with the fact that, well, patients die. So it's it's all brilliantly done. But as, as we've been saying, when you keep having those moral lessons at the end of every episode, yeah. it, it gets really, really tedious. It's from the pre-streaming era. Mm. And I've heard it talked about, about sort of Star Trek The Next Generation and, and other programs as well, that there are certain programs that don't stand up well to binge watching. Because yes, yeah. you, you, when you binge watch it, you learn the beats of the program too well and it becomes over familiar yeah um and so yeah i mean possibly it's just watching it now in the way that we do where we will watch several episodes back to back because you know amazon or netflix or whatever it might be just keeps throwing them out at you it perhaps doesn't stand up as well as back in the old days when it was one episode a week and you know you watch them when they came out that's really interesting i really agree with that if you binge watch scrubs there will come a point where you, you'll either throw yourself out of a window or you'll throw the TV out of the window because I think it will just drive you utterly mad, wouldn't it? I think you could probably take one episode a week, uh, but if you yeah. try to watch it in one go, it would, it, it, would, it would get infuriated. You also mentioned when you were talking about My Old Lady that it's um, it's the three stories, so like they've got Turk, Elliot and JD have a patient each. Mm. That is a structure that they stuck to quite a lot in the early years of the show where they would have A, B and C stories. Mm. By the time you get to my lunch, it's much, much more of an ensemble thing. So once again, in my lunch, they're they're treating three patients, but it's all of the main characters treating these three patients. Like Dr. Cox has a particular relationship with one of the patients. But generally speaking, they're all working together and it became much more of an ensemble piece. And the other really notable thing that I'd kind of forgotten Scrubs did and it really stands out when you go from a season one to a season five episode is the huge cast of supporting characters that they 
built up over the years yeah. and it's it's to the level like to a simpson style level you've got the janitor who's been in it from the very beginning you've got ted who's in it from the very beginning although he gets an acapella band later on leonard the uh black security guard with the hook for a hand as they always describe him lloyd the delivery guy colonel dr hooch dr beard for dr nick head todd keith cabbage lady lonnie franklin doug snoop dog resident all of these characters become things and become recurring jokes in the program so you used the word cartoonish earlier and it absolutely is and and yeah to maintain them to have recurring characters to dip in and out of them um but still structure it around those that, that central body of people you know which is obviously the, the, the three doctors we mentioned carla the nurse and, and perry and, and bob kelso floating mm. around as well um i think yeah. it's great and uh, one of my favorite characters I've got to say comes in later on is jordan who is uh, perry yeah. cox's uh, wife also bill lawrence's wife in real life played by yeah. uh krista miller who i've got to say I, I don't know about you but i fancied the hell out of when she was on scrubs i thought there was um, she had quite the quality about her let's just put it, should we just put it leave it leave yeah she does she's she's uh on episode two of Chuckle Lovers on Father Ted featuring world famous Ketamine <laughs> Ketamine President Nita uh, Seamus O'Reilly Can I just say it feels like we knew Seamus before he became famous uh, That <laughs> rhymes as well, that's a lovely rhyme Seamus uh, before yeah, he famous, was famous yeah, yeah. yeah, he's become a bit of a um, superstar He's been re- referenced in the New York Times and everything I know, they were analysing his tweets yeah, and so amazing. it was like literature um, Although he, he was making fun of that but um, he also analysed Steve Bruce's novels as though they were literature. So I feel like that's maybe a bit rich. Um, (laughs) Hi, Seamus, if you're listening. Um, But, um, yeah, he talks about there are certain people that just have funny bones, and I feel like Krista Miller just has sexy bones. (laughs) And she's great in this, and actually the whole cast is fantastic. Um, We've talked about Zach Braff being great, but Donald Faison is perfect as Turk. I think at the time he was maybe one of the best known members of the cast because he was in Clueless. He was in Clueless, yeah, indeed. That's how I recognised him immediately when I started watching Scrubs. And he was in the TV spin-off series of Clueless as well. Mm. Yeah, you've got Judy Reyes, who's brilliant as Carla. She's perfect as Carla. Ken Jenkins as Dr. Kelso, who is amazing. Uh, He's kind of like the Mr. Burns of Scrubs. Um, Again, that's another difference is that by season five, he's not even pretending not to be evil anymore. Whereas like season one, it's always like him acting kind and then doing an about turn sort of midway through his speech of course sarah chalk who is now in rick and morty um is great as Elliot, and she was in roseanne as well wasn't she it was becky wasn't she she was yeah. yeah speaks three languages sarah chalk she's a french canadian and also speaks fluent german which they make into a character trait for elliot so i've always wondered what they do do you know in tv shows where they'll have someone speak a second language and the audience isn't really meant to know what's going on yeah like what do they do when they put the show in the second language yeah, that they're speaking that's a good point yeah yeah so spanish um, would be quite a, a dominant one to describe exactly yeah. so like yeah so there's lots of scenes where it's like carla is talking to members of her family in spanish mm. and turk doesn't speak spanish and they don't subtitle it because the whole point is that you're meant to share turk's point of view mm. but i learned researching for this show a rare bit of research in the german language version of scrubs elliot speaks dutch instead of german and and in the spanish version of scrubs carla speaks italian as her second language does that work? Would that does does that actually work in terms of the translation? I guess it would do, wouldn't it? Just the language difference, yeah. as long as the content is the same. Yeah. What I know of German to Dutch and 
Spanish to Italian, I think they would be different enough to not be entirely mutually intelligible, mm. but you would get the odd word here and there, which is a bit like, you know, listening to a Spanish speaker in English. So, yeah. Just on characters, um, uh, if we come on to Janitor, um, played by Neil Flynn, who, again, yes. as you say, everyone's excellent. He's very good in this as well. So just, uh, I've done a bit of research as well, believe it or not, first time for everything. Um, so what I found out about the Janitor was, um, if the show only lasted one season, he was going to be purely a figment of JD's imagination. Um, it wasn't until midway through the second season that the actor who played him, Neil Flynn, was able to interact with the other actors aside from from Braff. So I don't know if you were aware of that, that up until halfway through season two, the other characters didn't know he was there. Uh, certainly, I think in that first, in Old Lady, he is kind of in the shadows and does it does feel as only uh, JD can see. So that's interesting. I did know that. And you exposed yourself, Sachin, because I put this in the notes that I wrote oh, did for this episode. Well, I've got to say, I did, I did read your notes. I did skim read, read your notes, but I didn't, yeah, probably didn't read them in depth. Uh, so, no, honestly, I did look at it. It's your... what I do when you send yours as well. Yeah, I just yeah. chucked it. I've had a bad day, Stephen. I've lost all my photos. Um, <laughs> so, well, for the listeners' purpose, not for yours, because you know all this. So, um, <laughs> I know everything. Yeah, so there's a couple of competing reasons why the janitor was always picking on Braff. Lawrence felt personally that he'd always had someone in his life latching on to teasing him for, uh, for no reason. And so Flynn's character was based on that idea. And Flynn said in an interview that his character was completely justified uh, to pick on JD because, at least in the janitor's mind, uh, JD had jammed the door in the hospital with a penny and the janitor had to fix it. Because I think in common with a lot of other TV shows, they were convinced that they were going to get cancelled mid-season mm. or at the end of the first year at best so that was going to be sort of the the big reveal in the last episode was that he was um, a figment of JD's imagination similar to how in the Simpsons if they had got cancelled at the end of the first season they would have revealed that Homer had been crusty all along but yeah I, I think Neil Flynn actually uh, in season two was like can I maybe act with some of the other guys because the other thing about Neil Flynn is that he improvises a lot of his stuff. So they would give, they apparently learned later on that there's almost no point writing too much about the janitor because Neil Flynn will just go off script and improvise anyway. Uh, <laughs> so someone with his comedic talent, um, it was a shame not to have him interacting with, uh, with anyone beyond Zach Braff. In my lunch, there's a whole thing about him giving Turk a, a really awful neck massage, isn't it? I wonder if that was... That was improvised. Mm. That, I mean, maybe that's something he suggested as well, because it becomes a little bit, little bit, a mini joke in there that sort of runs for a, yeah. for, a, for a short spell during the episode. And there's there's one member of the cast that we've not mentioned yet, which is John C. McGinley, um, who is incredible. Like he is everything they give him to do, he absolutely nails. He's funny. He's convincingly angry. He's convincingly bereft at the end of my lunch. He is such a get for them particularly in those days like it's easy to forget now in these days of prestige tv and the fact you know we're living in the golden age where some of the best actors are working on tv at the time scrubs came out t working on tv was what you did if you couldn't get movie work yeah, yeah. And the reason i believe that john c mcginley took scrubs was because his son has down syndrome so he wanted something that was like a steady paycheck that he could just stay in Los Angeles for him so he could be at home more often and had a bit more of a consistent schedule. Um, so, yeah, he is a, a great get for them. I think probably he was in, what was he in? He was in Wall Street, he was in Platoon, and I think probably best known from Office Space. Yeah. What What would you say you do here? I'm going to look at his... 
his roll call here. The Rock. Um, yeah. By which you mean the Sean Connery yeah. film. He wasn't inside the WWE wrestler at any point. No. I'll just go through the the plot for, for My Lunch because it is a really, really good episode. It's based early on around this character, Jill, played by Nicole Sullivan, who is uh, a recurring character who, who tried to kill herself at one point. We see her in a supermarket with JD and, and Perry are in there. Uh, she's being really annoying. They sort of just try and get away from her. Uh, JD bumps into her again. Again, he just kind of tries to get away from her. And then the next thing they know, she's she's in hospital. She eventually dies. Um, and there is a benefit to that because um, her, I don't know which family member it is, but a family member says or gives permission for her, her organs to be used. And that is particularly convenient because there is a bit of an organ shortage crisis in the hospital. But what we then find out, the twist is she actually didn't die as as suspected from an overdose it was from rabies so the organs which have been put into the patients who need them are infected and they die sort of one by one and it is perry who feels a sort of brunt of guilt over this because he was he was the one who was really pushing to get organs to the patients as quickly as possible and in particular to one patient a male patient he was looking after personally who who dies right at the end very powerful ending as, as perry starts throwing all the hospital equipment around you know, in upset and, and frustration and fury. And, and the very last scene is him walking out of the hospital, uh, essentially saying he he's going to quit medicine because of this decision he made. I don't know how that panned out in the next episode. But yeah, no, re- re- really powerful episode. And, and as you say, um, John C. McGinley was fantastic. He's fantastic generally. And, and in this episode particularly, yeah. was was awesome, I thought. He, he's wonderful. And, and sort of the turning point of that is that um, he'd given the speech to JD about mm. when Jill Tracy died and they thought it was an overdose and JD was feeling terrible because he hadn't seen it coming. He, he should have recognised that she was you know, depressed and didn't see it coming. And he gives her the speech about how you can't start taking it personally when patients die, particularly when it's from something from outside work and or you know something that you couldn't have seen coming. Mm. And then JD turns it around on Cox later on when the first two patients die of the infected organs because they were both terminal so they needed the organs they you know it was that or nothing but the third patient who Cox had become friendly with could have waited a month for another kidney and Cox blames himself because he had pushed so hard and was so excited to get those organs Mm. this is based on a real case by the way um that's another thing that's worth mentioning about scrubs is that a lot of the medical stuff is based on real world things that happened and the organs um infected with rabies is based on a real thing that happened in 2004 where four patients died because they thought that the donor had died of a cocaine overdose and then it later turned out that they had died of rabies for all it's a comedy i believe that pretty much all of the patient presentations in the program are pretty true to life and are based on real things that have actually happened in hospitals yeah well, on, on that, a bit more research. This might be in your notes as well. I might have ignored it as well. But no, you're absolutely right that the uh, <laughs> the medical cases were, were generally or largely true. Also, the doctors involved in those cases, they would then try and get their names into the episodes in some yeah. way. So they would be used probably for patient names or whatever. But the real patients' names would never be used, obviously. There's a character, a recurring character later on, played by Heather Graham, uh, Dr. Molly Clock, a psychiatrist. And she is named after one of their real-life consultants, Holly Clock. So in the same way that JD is named after someone who really is called JD, got Molly Clock in there, and I believe it's a John Turk is the surgeon who was their consultant who inspired oh, right. uh, Chris Turk. Mm. They really did their work. Then I believe it's sort of more medically accurate than House a lot of the time. Mm. It's a really well put together show. It's a, clearly a very thoughtful show. It 
knows what it's trying to do. Sometimes it misses, but when it works, it really works. Like my lunch was very affecting. No, I, I think, you know, I think it's an excellent show. Um, I think technically excellent single camera sitcom, we should say as well. Fantastically written, superbly acted. As you say, the, the, the use of the expanding cast and the way they're all made to, or the, the way they are all involved as the show goes on is great really powerful as well i think it goes back to that thing about it not being a show that you can binge watch i think it does or i certainly found it became incredibly tedious and it isn't a show as good as it is as technically excellent as it is is a show that i have a huge amount of fondness for and would certainly sit down and and watch an episode it just Mm. as i said i think it became too heavy and from my comedies from my sitcoms I, i don't i don't want them to be too heavy i want them to be great and i want them to be interesting and powerful but ultimately i want them to be funny and i think the balance with scrubs was lost for me and it became it became a sermon and a lecture more than a sitcom and, and I found it ultimately quite off-putting. I'd be interested to see, having watched just a few episodes, found it very funny. I'd be interested to see if I kept on watching it whether I would again get a bit fed up with it yeah. and find it a bit familiar. One thing I do like about Scrubs, uh, which hasn't changed since I watched it the first time, is the theme song. Uh, I'm a big fan of that, oh, which was song. yeah, Superman by US band Laszlo Bane, uh, who I've never mm. heard of. But, um, it was yeah, it was good, very catchy, and it doesn't last very long as well. I I don't like themes, thing opening things that go on a bit. The the opening credits they put uh, JD eventually puts the X ray up the wrong way round. Oh, does he? So the ti- the title card is the word Scrubs, and it's the the yeah the X rays the wrong way round. And in season five, they introduce a character who they say like has been there all along in the background, but JD hadn't noticed her because she's wearing a wedding ring. And so they show like bits from old episodes with her digitally inserted. And then the opening credits for the episode, uh, JD puts the X-ray up and then this character played by Elizabeth Banks, um, take uh, Kim, I think the character's name is, uh, takes the X-ray down and puts it back the right way up and says, uh, it's been driving me mad for years. Uh, oh, that's and fantastic! From the, and from and from then on, it's the right way up in the opening credits. I can't remember whether that was intentional. Well, or I was going to ask if that was remember. intentional or not. Yeah, that's that's great. I, I think, if I remember rightly, I think on the DVD commentary, Bill Lawrence says he would like to pretend that it was intentional um, because JD's inept, but they actually just fucked it up. Well, just speaking <laughs> of wedding ring related uh, elements of shows, one of my favourite sort of bit of TV tidbits is you know toby ziegler from west wing uh, yeah. played by richard schiff of course the only reason his character was married in a west wing if you remember he was actually i think separated or divorced from his wife uh, the only reason that was was because in the pilot richard schiff wore a wedding ring uh, his character was ah. meant to be single toby ziegler was meant to be single but richard schiff was married at the time he wore his wedding ring nobody noticed Aaron Sorkin then picked up on it, uh, obviously watching it back in the edit, and thought, "All oh, right, well, he's going to have to be married now because he's got a wedding ring." So they introduced <laughs> a wife. I think I'm done, Scrubs wise, Steve. Just to summarise, yeah, enjoyed it, remembered why I liked it, but still thought I probably won't go back to this. I won't come back to this. So I'll just mention uh, as a little addendum that the show had a lovely finale, which still sort of makes me cry thinking about it. But then they had a really weird ninth season with an almost entirely new. Yeah, have you seen this? Uh, I yeah. remember it from the time, yeah, and I, and I do also remember it from your notes as well, Stephen. I remember you've mentioned this in your notes, and I read it. With it's in... really fucking weird. Yeah, 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 it's like it's basically. I think Bill Lawrence wanted it to be a proper spin-off. He wanted to call it Scrubs Med, mm. um, and it's set at university, and like Cox and Turk are like the only characters are in like every episode, and it's such a fucking weird 
thing to like go i didn't even know it existed for years yeah. until i went back it's like wait what uh, i haven't watched it to be honest it didn't grab me but there you go no, Carry on. No, i was aware of it. i don't i don't think i watched it either but i was aware of it and yeah it, you just kind of wonder the everyone going into work on that you know you know the the crew the the actors mm-hmm. the writers the people behind the scenes and you just think were their heart really in it you know yeah. it just sounds like a, a farce of a project but there you go yeah um and okay so i've got some regular questions that i'd like to introduce so we'll see if we remember to do this in future episodes yeah, we haven't I got a good we, answered... we haven't got a track record of remembering to do stuff no. so this will probably start and end in this episode but... not done the jacob's crackers yeah. not done the this country theme song exactly. one day maybe maybe for episode oh god i'm promising something i'm not going to do <laughs> again maybe for episode 10 we'll uh, catch up on these things but um okay so I think you've answered the first question, which is, do you like the show? I think we've both covered that. Yes, um, I do like the show. Which, well, you like episode in isolation, yeah. but maybe find it a bit tedious overall. I think we've we've agreed on that. Yeah. Um, sorry, I I can't. I just said we've. I can't hear the difference between V and TH sounds. Okay. So I know I I have to think when I'm speaking how it's spelt so that I can get the pronunciation right. I can't hear physically hear the difference. Okay. I like it. Anyway, nice, quirk, nice, yeah. nice quirky trait. Um, anyway, which Scrubs character do you most relate to, Sachin? Oh, which one do I relate to? That's a fine question. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say JD. I think I'm. Mm. Uh, I haven't got the cockiness of Turk or Perry. Um, I'm not a woman. I'm not a weird janitor. I'm not. Even, Are you not? I'm not. No, no. Uh, that's the twist of this oh. episode. That's our Kaiser Soze moment. Um, I'm not evil like Bob Kelsos, uh, but I've yeah I've got some insecurities like uh, JD, and I, and I try and be an irritating git as often as I can. So yeah, JD's my man. Excellent. I, I think I would I would like to be Doctor Cox or Elliot, but I think I'm also JD. Yeah. Where JD Seamus O'Reilly is is Cox and Turk, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's a different level. Finally, Shag Marry Kill characters of Scrubs. Okay. Uh, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, no, I think it's quite easy. Shag, uh, Elliot Reed, marry Carlos Espinosa, and kill... It's got to be Bob Kelso, isn't it? Okay. Nice one. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going for... I'm going to shag Jordan. Oh, Jordan! Oh, my God! <laughs> Can I go back and change? Ah, I've totally forgot. No, yeah, so... committed. I have to take your first answer. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I'm going to marry... Ted, because poor Ted, like he just needs someone to look after him. He's talented. Oh, well, I would we kill from... Ted because he just seems like a man who 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 could who probably isn't enjoying life. But fair enough. He would he he would welcome it. Uh, yeah, to be fair. Yeah. And who would I kill? Man, I, that's not the first time I've said that. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, it's JD. Kill JD. JD. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. That means yeah. you're killing both of us as well, which is unfortunate yeah but probably for the greater good Sachin do you want to tell the boys and girls how they can contact us on Twitter yes our Twitter account is at Chuck Lovers Pod check that out I'm also at Sachin Akrani you are at Stephen Chicken Stephen with a V indeed Uh, our email address is chucklovers at yahoo.com please as we say as I say at the end of every podcast episode Please write us an article. We've still only got one. Not gonna happen, it's not going to go. It's starting to get quite desperate and pathetic, but I'm going to keep asking. Please write us an article because uh, we want to get stuff up there because we have a website as well, which is uh, chucklovers.com. Is that right? Yeah, that's the main thing, really. Yeah. Like, If you can't be asked to listen to all of this, if you go to chucklovers.com, all the details are on there. Yeah. Um, if I could do a quick plug, I'm going to be, in fact, I think by the time this comes out, I will have been on the Reducer podcast with 
the legendary Seamus O'Reilly. He's had tons of mentions on this podcast. He's a payout. Bloody hell. hell. I've never been mentioned on Reduce apart from being on it. But uh, yeah, I've never been mentioned. <laughs> well, you've been on an episode. You were talking about being Liverpool, yeah. weren't you? Um, and yours is the uh, fantastic 90s show, Rent for Rejects, isn't it? If I'm not mistaken. It is, I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Please subscribe. Uh, and recommend the podcast as well because it helps other yeah, people and find rate us. us. Yeah, rate us as well, of course. Rate us, 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 rate us. Thank you. There's the first jingle. Um, and I'm also, do you know what? We've got episode 10 coming up. I'm getting a bit tired of the uh, little clips that I play over the intro to Chuckle Lovers, so I think every 10 episodes we'll change those clips. So uh, look forward to the new intro next time, in two weeks' time, when we're going to be talking about the royal family. We are indeed, looking forward to it. Our first God-tier show. Mm. Well, it was Father Ted's God-tier, I would suggest. No, I think you gave it a four, Did and I? I gave it a four. Well, Father Ted? So basically, oh. yeah, so to, to give a glimpse on the curtain, we have um, a massive spreadsheet of over 200 shows, which I think I've tweeted out a couple of times before, and we've each giving it a rating on priority for how much we want to talk about it between one and five. Yeah, Father Ted, the second tier show. Oh. Uh, I gave it a five, you gave it a four. I must have been drunk it's at that a... time or not be able to count. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Father Ted's brilliant. Yeah, I should have made that five. I do apologise, listeners. Uh, my <laughs> comedy credentials have gone through the floor. I, I love Father Ted. It should be a five. I'll just say that for the record now. Yeah. But Royal Family is the first show we're going to do where we've both given it a five. Yeah. So I've been uh, I've been watching, I've watched pretty much all of them over the last couple of weeks and I've massively enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and that'll be out in a couple of weeks' time. Look forward to it. I think that's a wrap. Brilliant. All right. Cheers, Sachin. Take care, Stephen. Love you as ever. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye.